With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Newt News Podcast. We're so thrilled to have you with us this week. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Tracy Scarati, for helping to make the show possible. Last week, we previewed the Brewers and the Reds, and today we'll continue our coverage of the rest of the NL Central as we're going to be looking at the Pirates and the Cubs. Let's get into the show. We want to start with a question we got on Twitter, and it's had me thinking for a couple days. Um, an account asked, how many Cardinals will be All-Stars in 2023? So what do you guys think? Personally, I've got seven, which I know is a big number, um, but I'll get into that in a minute. What do you guys think? Seven is a lot. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I, I look at the roster, though. I think there's got to be. I think, well, there's always going to be a couple guys who get in the All-Star game that just have monster first halves. Like we saw Paul DeYoung get into the All-Star game one year because he just had a great first half. And in the yeah. second half, he definitely trailed off uh, kind of regression towards the mean. And I think we might have a couple of those guys here. We also have guys who get hot in the second half a lot. Like Paul Goldschmidt, his first couple seasons in St. Louis, he was not an All-Star, um, but he still is All-Star worthy. It's just he was a lot better in the second half than he was in the first half. So I'm going to go with four. Um, I think okay. we might have a couple guys who jump up, but a couple of guys will maybe not catch fire until right before the All-Star game or just through the All-Star game. So who do you think is going to get in? List those four players for me. I'm going to go with Nolan Arenado because he's been an All-Star every time that yep. he's been here. Um, I'm going to go with Lars Newpar. I think we'll have a monster first half as Hope so. uh, a leadoff hitter. Um, I think he'll hit beat off for us a lot of this uh, first half. I'm going to go with Miles Michaelis. Mm. And my last one will be Wilson Contreras. Mm. I think Goldie um, will have not maybe not a down year, but he'll catch fire again in the second half like he usually does when the weather gets warmer. Um, he'll mm. still be fine. Yeah. And um, I'll meet you guys in the middle there. So I'm going to say like, Five or six guys will be in the All-Star game. Um, I agree. I think Wilson Contreras is going to have a great year. Uh, as this is his first year as a Cardinal. I think he'll make the All-Star game. Um, so, But I also think if Jordan Walker makes the team at mm. spring training, I think he could be an interesting guy who can make the All-Star team. Mm. I like that. Um, but I also, you know, guys like Goldschmidt are not. Um, and I, I do see Newt Barr potentially making the All-Star team too. Um, but I think those guys would be um, good choices for that. Interesting. Yeah, I look at it and I think how many guys were on our team last year that made the all-star game? You had, you know, Goldie and Arenado. You had Michaelis. I think you guys have forgotten Helsley, who I think will get in again. And then you add Contreras. Edmund was an all-star. So I start to look around and I think, well, let's see. Goldie, Arenado. I think Edmund will make it. He's going to have a really high war at the halfway point. Contreras is four. Michaelis is five. Helsley's six. And I think we're, we're missing somebody right now who's going to break out, whether it's a reliever or another starter. I think there's an outside shot in his last year that Wayno gets a nod. 
Um, especially because if they're going to keep doing this legacy thing, you know, the commissioner's picks last year, it was Pujols who didn't deserve it in the first half, but then went off in the second half. And then Cabrera, who kind of had the opposite, you know, had a great first half and then a really, really not so great second half. But if they do that, who's going to be the pick from the NL anyway? Could be Wainwright if they decide to pick one. But I just thought that was interesting. And it's a really appropriate time to be talking about the All-Star game as it's Pro Bowl weekend, you know, football's All-Star game, which they just do a terrible job with. They don't even play real football. Um, I don't know. Maybe everyone should take a page out of MLB's book, you know. The NHL doesn't get any viewership during their All-Star weekend. And then everybody knows that the NBA's All-Star game isn't really real basketball. Um, So I don't know. MLB does a great job. And I hope we see a lot of Cardinals in this year's festivities. I mean, All-Star Weekend is usually a big deal in other sports league. But my issue with the MLB All-Star Game is it's not a weekend. It's like a Monday for the Home Run Derby. And then the mm. All-Star Game is on a Tuesday night at like 7.30, which is That's so like people got to work the next day. So I don't, I don't really know what they're doing with that. I feel like the All-Star break should definitely be over a weekend. It's going to continue being on a Tuesday this year. But in the future, they should definitely switch it. Yeah, I think it's they don't want to give up those weekend games that they'll have beforehand. You know, MLB doesn't want to lose a Saturday with 15 games on TV. It's tough. I agree. I think they could make the whole event a lot better by having it on a weekend, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday type thing. Home run derby, all-star game, and then day off. That'd be great. Um, But I don't know. They don't seem interested in changing right now. I wish they would. But something MLB should change is their policy surrounding the World Baseball Classic. Andrew, tell us about that. Right. So I just read the other day that Luis Severino is not going to be playing for the Dominican Republic anymore because Yankees general manager Brian Cashman told him that he couldn't play, that he had to go to camp and report as usual. And to me, that's just ridiculous. I don't think that that should be allowed at all. Um, We just saw the World Cup. um, And that was um, a very exciting, very exciting event uh, for everyone. Um, And that's the biggest event in, in soccer. Nothing is bigger than the World Cup. And in my opinion, there should be no greater honor in sports than representing your, own, your home country and just playing, your, playing the game for your country. Like your team is just a, an entity that pays you, but your country is like everything. Like it's yeah. where you, you were born, where you live maybe, but it's just so much more um, than just the, an everyday club that signs you and we're seeing players like Aaron judge is not going to be in the world baseball classic. Could you imagine if say Lionel Messi were to be like, you know what, I'm going to just sit at home and, and help my, help my team win the champions league instead of winning the world cup. That would never happen. So I, I don't know what MLB is doing here. It should definitely be to grow the international side of the game. Mm. Everyone, all the top stars should be playing in the World Baseball Classic. I totally agree. I will say, though, it seems like this year they are promoting the World Baseball Classic much more than they have in previous years. And I think they are trying to improve uh, viewership for the World Baseball Classic. But um, I agree. I think they they could be doing more. They could be um, promoting it um, in a different type of way. So I think they just need to reevaluate things. Yeah, I'll agree with what you just said, Gravy. I've definitely heard way more about the World Baseball Classic this year than I have in the past, but also just trying to get on there and see who's in it, get the bracket, still not easy. 
took me quite a while on Google to find any sort of power rankings for the World Baseball Classic. And we've got some awesome all-time teams stacking up this year. Between the Dominican, the USA, and Japan, it's going to be quite the battle. You know, I'm, I'm expecting some really exciting games. So, Andrew, is that just a Yankees policy, or are there other teams who also aren't letting their players play? I believe Luis Castillo of the Mariners has also opted out of the World Baseball Classic. I don't know if that was a personal decision or a club decision, but I know that's happened. Wilson Contreras won't be representing Venezuela, which is good for the Cardinals because um, he's going to camp to learn all the new pitchers. And, and that was a personal like decision, though, right? Yeah, that was no. a personal decision. Um, but I feel like the, the World Baseball Classic is like the World Cup. It comes around once every four years. I feel like yeah. you can have your your opportunity to represent your country. Um, I appreciate Contreras as a Cardinals fan for, for not deciding to play, yeah. but um, I think it would be more fun for baseball in general if, if all those top stars wanted to represent their country. But I think I have seen a lot of players really, really hyped up about it. Like Mike Trout, he has a great attitude headed into the World Baseball Classic. He wants to win. He's thrilled to be captain of Team USA. And then, you know, the Cardinals are well represented in the World Baseball Classic. I wanted to talk about that just a minute. So, who, who from the Cardinals will be participating in this year's World Baseball Classic? I mean, you got the stars. Uh, Goldie and Arenado are both going mm-hmm. to be representing Team USA. Adam oh, yeah. Wainwright um, and Miles Michaelis, again, for, for USA. Um, Yachty will manage Puerto Rico. So it'll be really fun mm-hmm. if, if we match up with Puerto Rico um, to see what that dynamic is like, especially if, if Wainwright is pitching, because I know, I know Yachty will be telling his hitters be exactly awesome. what's coming. That'll be really yeah. fun. Um, <laughs> I think some lesser names, Palante is representing Team Italy. Um, Lars Nupar uh, is representing Team Japan. There was a clip that came out from Valley Sports that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, that was obvious. He's wanted to represent Japan ever since he was like nine years old, and it's it's really cool to see that he's getting the opportunity to do that. Um, Tommy Edmund is playing for Team Korea, um, and uh, I think Ivan Herrera is playing for for Colombia. Yes. No, no, no. Yvonne Herrera will be for Team Panama. He'll be catching. Oh, okay. okay. And then there's, we also have um, Gallegos is going to be relieving mm-hmm. uh, on the Dominican team, if I'm correct. And then is, is Cabrera, Genesis Cabrera is going to be playing for Team Mexico? Or um, is that Dominican? Um, and Tyler O'Neill for Canada, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And then uh, Matt Caperniak, Cardinals prospect, will be on Team Great Britain. <laughs> they are composed almost entirely of minor leaguers, but I think they're still going to be a really fun watch. That's going to be really, really exciting. If Great Britain beats us in baseball, that would be really, oh my gosh. Quite, quite a shame. It'll be like we tied them in the World Cup. I mean, we have to beat them at our own game. Like, come on now. We do. And then correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Lars Nupar is the first um, non-Japanese-born player, right? So the first player born outside of Japan to represent Team Japan in the World Baseball Classic. And so it's so Tommy Edmund. Tommy Edmund's the first um, uh, American-born wow. player to represent Team Korea, which is a lot of notable firsts. And then also former Cardinal Kwang Hyun Kim will be in the World Baseball Classic with Korea. Is Sungwon Oh going to be playing? Does anybody know that? I think he might be a little little old for that one. Uh, but Bummer. It's possible. That was fun times. All right. Well, that'll wrap up our discussion of the World Baseball Classic. We're going to get into the meat of the episode now. Um, so we're going to start looking at the Pittsburgh Pirates. So who did the Pittsburgh Pirates add this offseason? Yeah, so um, starting off, we have Andrew McCutcheon, which, of course, is a big name. Uh, he started his career with the Pirates and then uh, more recently was on the Brewers. Um, but it seems like he's he's starting his farewell, 
for a farewell tour with the Pirates this year. And, and this might be his final year playing in the bigs. And then we also have uh, G-Man Choi and uh, veteran Rich Hill, who's entering his age 43 season as a pitcher. Is he MLB's oldest player? I believe I, so. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Even older than Wainwright. That is crazy. What are the odds the, the Cardinals acquire Rich Hill this year? It would fit a pattern, right? Between LeBlanc, Lester, Hap, Quintana. I don't know. I figure we might go after him at the deadline when we need a starter. Yeah, he might, might be our target for the trade deadline for sure. Um, following the Lester and Jay Hap um, dynamic. <clears throat> Over uh, last season, um, I really, really wanted Jose Quintana to start um, opening day because we know Pujols has great numbers against lefties and Quintana was a lefty. And watching Quintana uh, from the Angels fan perspective of me, that was not good. He, he was really not good with the Angels. And I was like, oh, yeah, Quintana's not, not a good pitcher. Let's, uh, let's have him face against Pujols during opening day so we can uh, homer. But, um, yeah, seems seems like things have changed. Quintana's now uh, a guy I'm really sad for almost let go. So. Yeah, I really wish we would have signed him now that he's with the Mets too. That really stinks. But regardless of these, you know, veteran acquisitions the Pirates made, the real story there is the young talent. So let's talk about that a little bit. They have their stud center fielder, Brian Reynolds, and then the left side of that infield is going to be a ton of fun between Cabrian Hayes, who honestly will be in the running for gold gloves for the next 15 years with the level of defense he plays. And then obviously that fascinating shortstop, the six foot seven O'Neill Cruz. What do you know about them? What are you guys excited about? Well, I mean, there, there's been quite a lot of hype around O'Neill Cruz, especially at the start of last season when he came up. Um, I believe he had one of the hardest hit balls in the history of the game. Um, yeah. A home run. Or I'm not sure if it was a home run, but um, it, was it was just a single off the top of the wall. <laughs> oh, that's right. It, yeah, just came back off the wall yeah. uh, at light speed. So he was only able to make it to first base. That's right. Uh, but, I mean, he's just – he's a fascinating player. He um, – he has one heck of an arm too. He can just whip around the diamond. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to watch him next year. Yeah. O'Neill Cruz now holds the record for the fastest throw across the diamond, which is going to be shattered when Mason Wynn comes up. Um, but he broke the record set by Tatis a couple of years ago. And then he also has an elite sprint speed. He reached 30 feet per second. So he's right up there with Trey Turner. He hits the ball as hard as John Carlos Stanton. Dude has incredible tools, but he wasn't able to put it all together last year. He had a really disappointing rookie season in a lot of ways. Though he showed those flashes, it contributed to what was really a below-average line, even though he played solid enough defense. Do you guys expect a lot of growth from him this year? I think if O'Neill Cruz puts it together, he's going to be a really tough out um, in the in the Central Division. And I don't know. I'm I'm pretty scared of him uh, right now because if he if he hits one, if he connects with one, it's gone. So Come on. yeah, just has to. Even last year. Even last year, he had like a really decent season overall. Um, he had 17 home runs, uh, 107 OPS plus, and 55 RBIs. So it's a re- relatively decent season for a rookie, and I can only see improvement coming out of him next year. Mm. Yeah, I guess it was only disappointing because people had such high expectations for the guy. You know, I feel like yeah. everybody thought he's going to come up and just be incredible right away. Yeah, um, it'll definitely take him time to adjust to the new environment. Um, 
So, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the Pirates coaching staff is not as as good as one could expect. So, um, he just needs time to to adjust. Yeah, the Pirates uh, players do tend to flourish uh, when they leave that organization. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, to Brian Hayes really scared me though, um, mostly because as a Cardinal fan, we have our third baseman who's uh, Arenado's gotten like ten Golden Gloves in a row, and Brian Hayes defensively, I feel like is the biggest threat to ending that. Um, I think he surpassed Arenado in defensive runs saved last year, even yes. um, in fewer games. So I don't know. He scares me a little bit. Um, his defense is definitely uh, his strong suit. But we have seen him offensively put it together in 2020 for a little bit. Um, he was a monster then. But if he puts it together offensively, he could be one of the best third picks in the league. Yeah, I think Brian Hayes um, may be a more consistent defender than Arnado, but he doesn't quite have those flashes of brilliance. Arnado won the gold glove last year. Not, I mean, the, the advanced metrics loved him. And they carried him right to the finish line. But the reason he got over that hump and finished ahead of Hayes, in my opinion, was because he just had three or four unbelievable, iconic plays last year. If you recall, the barehanded grab that he threw across the diamond to Goldschmidt, the throw right over the runner's shoulder headed home, then that jump turn throw against um, the Rays to keep us in that game, to get that force out at third. So Arnado just has those moments. And that's why I think it's still going to be really hard for someone to dethrone him, even if Cabrian Hayes grades out as the slightly better defender. But Cabrian Hayes last year was still, for what it's worth, a four and a half war player with an 87 OPS plus. So, I mean, this dude, if he puts it together, you're absolutely right. He could break out and be an all-star, potentially an MVP candidate if he can add value with the bat. Because he's going to have a you know pretty solid floor of about four and a half WAR defensively. Even if he just adds three or four, we're talking about a guy who's worth seven to eight WAR, which is the range Arnado was worth last year. That's right where Goldie was. That's where most MVPs reside. So I think he's going to look a lot like a Matt Chapman in a few years from a value standpoint. But with all this young talent, and they've got some interesting pitching prospects in the pipeline, is it going to be enough right now? Is it going to be enough to get them out of the basement or will they finish in last again? Remember the pirates did lose a hundred games last year. What do you guys think? You know, I said this last episode, but I think the McCutcheon effect is going to play a pretty big role in this season. It's always great to have veteran leadership in your clubhouse. And I don't really think the pirates had that last year, especially with a guy who has been surrounded by the pirates organization for so long. I know uh, McCutcheon was gone for, for a few years, but even like you saw what Albert Pujols did, um, he jumped right back into the Cardinals clubhouse like he never left. So yeah. I think McCutcheon will provide that veteran leadership. I think his numbers will definitely um, increase from what they have been in the past. We've seen that again with Pools. Um, he'll, I think he'll have a similar year, maybe not as magical of a season, but um, it will definitely show flashes of McCutcheon of, uh, of Dave's past. Interesting. Yeah, and other things to note about McCutcheon is he's very close to some important career milestones. Uh, career hit number 2,000 is right around the corner. Um, walk number 1,000. And there are a bunch of other um, big, big step-ups in his career coming up for this season that he could very recently hit. Um, so it'll be exciting to watch him and see what he does with the Pirates. So is Kutch a Hall of Famer? And does he have the chance to push himself to that? Honestly, uh, it, it all depends on what happens next year. Um, if he does decide to continue playing and play another year after um, 
this season. Uh, we'll have to see what um, he puts together. But um, as of right now, I'm going to say that he's not quite a Hall of Famer. I'm going to agree. I'm not sure he's even very close at the moment. He does have the one MVP season in 2013. And at that point, he looked to be on track to a Hall of Fame career, but he really slowed down. Um, he had a couple bad years. 2016 was really a down year for him. Um, and then he never quite rebounded to what he was before that. And he only has four top five MVP finishes. You know, he's only a mm, five-time All-Star. He only has one gold glove. Kutch's career war currently sits at 47, which for an outfielder would be very low for Hall of Fame induction. Guys have gotten in with less, but usually they're extenuating circumstances. I think Kutch probably needs at least two more seasons to get in and maybe some kind of renaissance. It's just going to be really tough. He needs to, he definitely has to eclipse 50 and he probably has to get some more milestones. McCutcheon definitely needs 13 home runs this year to go uh, above 300. Um, but I'm not even sure that would be enough. So I don't know. I think he is a very borderline, very fringe Hall of Fame case. And he could bolster that, especially if he plays two or three more years. Um, but I don't know. Maybe this is his last year and maybe he doesn't really have as great a shot. So what are your best case and worst case scenarios for the Pirates this year? What could go well? What could go wrong? And where do they end up? I don't see them being over 500. Uh, they have some exciting players. Uh, G-Man Troy is fun to watch. Um, McCutcheon, of course. Carlos Santana might show some promise. Um, they brought him in from Seattle. He was mm -hmm. not great for the last couple of years. But we have guys with track records who have shown some amount of promise, but I don't think that pitching is there at all. Right now mm -hmm. on roster resource, that rotation is headlined by Ronzi Contreras, who has a projected 419 ERA. Um, no, and then it's Ronzi chill. Legit. <laughs> I am terrified of Ronzi Contreras. Did you watch him last year? Mark my words. He's going to be legit this year. He's very good. I'm just saying, I, I don't really, aside from him, let's say, let's say he's really good. Aside from him, it's Rich Hill, who's very old. Yikes. I think his age 43 season. Mitch Keller, who we've seen. I, I love to see Mitch Keller. He's always uh, a fun a fun opponent for the Cardinals. Um, JT Brubaker and Vince Velasquez, who has not been good at all for the last couple of years. Um, so that rotation, I don't think can, can hold anything. And that, that lineup has, has pieces to dream on, but it's definitely not a contender. There's no, there's no world where I see the Pirates finishing over 500. Gotcha. I, guess, I can see them finishing uh, fourth, fourth place in Central Division, probably ahead of the Reds. Um, I think they do have the tools to, to make it a more interesting season than last year. And um, I can see them losing between anywhere between like 80 to 90 games. I don't see them losing over 100 again. I think they uh, moved past that a little bit. Um, but they just have to hope for offensive power from their, from the, from their young players or veterans to, to help them make some improvements. Yeah, I think for me, the worst case scenario for the Pirates is that they end up losing 100 games anyway that O'Neill Cruz doesn't take that big step forward, that Cabrian Hayes solidifies that he's a below average bat and that they don't get anything back for Brian Reynolds. I Do think the think Brian, Brian Reynolds gets moved. I, I don't know. I think they need to, Brian, he doesn't want to play there. And how much control does he really have left now? Is he an arbitration guy now? I think he has a couple more years left. He's in his um, 
third year of service time. So I think he has three years left with the Pirates. He'll be in arbitration this year. Yeah, so he's entered arbitration now. The clock is ticking. You're probably not going to win when he's there. You might win his last year, but I think you need to deal him. You need to get something back, hopefully some pitching. So I think that's a worst case scenario for them. Um, and they end up losing 100 games anyway. I think the best case scenario for the Pirates is that all these young guys take a step forward. They have some guys break out down on the farm. Quinn Priester, that big pitching prospect, looks good in the minors. And they end up winning, I don't know, I'll say 75 games. That'd be a great season for the Pirates. 75 and 87 would be a great year. Um, and they finish fourth in the central. Maybe they even push for third if the wheels fall off for the Cubs. Um, but I don't think that'll happen. And I don't think the pirates have a great shot of finishing above maybe 70 wins. Arnav, here's an interesting question. So we know the Cardinals are looking for outfield depth and the pirates have been known to trade for the Cardinals. They gave us Quintana. Would you be interested in Brian Reynolds? No. The Cardinals? No. Wow. I'm going against most of Cardinals nation here. Absolutely not. I love Brian Reynolds bat. That dude hits. It's all he does. And we all know that, but the Cardinals already have guys with ceilings higher than Brian Reynolds. Lars Newbar, his ceiling is higher than Brian Reynolds right now. We saw it last year. Tyler O'Neill, his ceiling is 2021 way higher than anything Brian Reynolds has done so far. Dylan Carlson, much better defender, much higher ceiling. The problem with Brian Reynolds, he's a terrible defender. He's a terrible center fielder defensively. One of the worst in the game, according to defensive runs saved, outs above average, whatever metric you want to take. So if the Cardinals get Brian Reynolds, they're probably putting him in a corner spot. He's losing a ton of his value right there. One of the reasons he's a big deal is because he can play center. So if we take that away from him, make him play in the corner, now his bat has to compete with, oh, I don't know, Jordan Walker, Moises Gomez, Tyler O'Neill, Lars Newbar, Alec Burleson. There's just way too many names. And he's not going to get time at DH because Contreras is going to need a DH, right? Um, and then on top of that, you're still going to have Juan Yepes, whose bat you absolutely have to get in the lineup. I just think we have way too many outfielders to add another one. Plus, you're going to have to give something up to get something like Brian Reynolds. And I think they're looking for pitching. So I am not trying to give up some of my young pitching right now for an outfielder that we really don't need. At this point in this episode, I'd like to shout out our sponsor, Tracy Perotti. Tracy's Karate has been serving a local St. Louis community since 1969, specializing in private lessons for practical and effective self-defense instruction. Private lessons allow Tracy to teach anyone, focusing on your own personal goals and your learning style. Try out a free half-hour private lesson today. Call 314-821-0555 or visit tracys.com for more details. I know some of these guys personally, and they're really awesome. It's a fantastic opportunity to learn valuable self-defense skills. If you decide to sign up, let them know that the crew at Newt News sent you. And again, the phone number is 314-821-0555. And the website is tracys.com. All right, let's get into the second half of our episode. So now we're going to be previewing the Chicago Cubs, who have been busy little bees this offseason. Um, they've done a ton. They have signed more new free agents than anybody in baseball. The Mets signed more free agents, but a couple of them were bringing back players from the 2022 season, like Brandon Nimmo. So the Cubs might have the, you know, most roster turnover of anybody in the league. Some people think this is going to be enough to compete. I am of the persuasion that they will not be competing at all in 2023. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, so if we look at some of the names that the Cubs have signed this offseason, we have Jamison Tyone, 
uh, Trey Mancini, Cody, Cody Bellinger, Dansby Swanson, Tucker Barnhart, Eric Hosmer, Brad Boxberger. All these guys are signed to mostly like one-year deals. Um, the only exception there is Dansby Swanson, who's signed to seven years, and Jameson Tayon, who's been signed for four years. Um, mm. So all these are short-term deals. Um, they're, they're trying to get these players to Wilson. Um, they're hoping that uh, guys like Cody Bellinger and Eric Hosmer have uh, rebound seasons and um, come back to their old forms. So do you guys see any of these players becoming um, potential breakout candidates in 2023? Not at all for me. I actually want to take a second. We're going to run through these contracts so we can just get a little bit out about each of them. And we're going to start with the biggest one, Dansby Swanson. Give me maybe your 15-second opinion on it. Gravy or Andrew, what do you have? I think the Swanson deal is kind of interesting. Um, it's clearly an indication the Cubs want to spend money, and they, I guess they want to win. Um, Swanson, out of the four shortstops, is the one that I didn't want on the Cardinals. Um, there were four marquee shortstops um, this offseason as free agents. Ray Turner, Xander Bogarts, Carlos Correa, and Dansby Swanson. I really wanted the Cardinals to sign one of those four guys, except for Swanson. So out of Correa, um, Bogarts, and Turner, I really, really wanted the Cardinals to sign one of them because I think the Cardinals need an impact bat, and shortstop is by far their weakest offensive position. Um, I wanted one of those guys. Dansby Swanson, I feel like strikes out too much, is a lot more of a defensive-minded guy, and I feel like pumps a lot in terms of contract-wise, for me, to someone like Dexter Fowler. Dexter Fowler was not necessarily a huge power hitter. Um, he had a really good 2016, which was his contract year. Um, and the Cardinals signed him to a long-term deal that did not really bode well. Um, it didn't end that great for them. Um, and I feel like Swanson is a very similar player in that regard. I think it's just an overpay. That's the way I look at it. Swanson has a career OPS plus of 95. He had one really good year last year. You know, um, I don't think he's going to be that guy every year. And at the end of the day, he was still just a 4.5 war guy, played a full season as a, as a leadoff guy. Um, I don't think he's going to do that every year. Next up is the Jameson Tyone deal. I'll go for this one. Another huge overpay. They got Tyone for almost $70 million. He was the Yankees five. You're telling me you're going to go sign somebody's fifth starter for four years and nearly $70 million. Massive overpay. Gravy, give me a quick summary of the Bellinger contract. Yeah, so for Cody Bellinger, I believe it's around $17 million for next year. And um, while Cody Bellinger is a former MVP, he has not been living up to his um, his MVP at, I believe, in 2017. Was it 2017 or 2019? Uh, 2017 was his rookie of the year campaign. 2019 was his MVP campaign. Okay, yeah. So since 2019, uh, Cody Bellinger has not been the same player. Um, last year, I believe he he – hovered around 697 OPS uh, around there. And he just has not been uh, as offensive as he used to be. And I believe this is probably one of his last chances to, to prove himself this year. And if he manages to bring back some of his offensive prowess, I think he, he could have uh, an inter interesting contract uh, in the next few years. I don't really understand this deal for the Cubs, though. I think they could have had him for a lot less. Nearly $20 million is really steep if he continues to be the Cody Bellinger he's been for the last three years. Um, and if he's good, you're either going to trade him or you're going to lose him in the offseason. So I feel like there aren't a lot of ways the Cubs win this deal. Uh, next up is the Mancini deal. I'll go for this one again. 
I think it's trade bait. Um, I think you're really banking on, I, I think the only reason they have Mancini is because he sat around so long and his price might've fallen a little bit after an uninspiring stretch with the Astros at the end of last season. Um, but again, just like Bellinger, I think this is trade bait. You know, Mancini is a little bit more of a buy low, sell high candidate. Maybe he'll net them a decent prospect because he'll have two years of control. Not super interesting. Um, after this, we've got Boxberger, Hosmer. Um, Andrew, give me a quick thought on those two contracts. Hosmer in the first half of last season was actually pretty good. Um, but then mm-hmm. he massively fell off in the second half. I think he could be pretty decent for them at first base. Um, I don't see much um, really there. Um, he's probably going to get traded if the Cubs aren't in contention. Same goes for Boxberger. Uh, we've seen a lot of him uh, with the Brewers in the last couple of seasons. Um, he's pretty good, uh, pretty solid, pretty solid bullpen arm for them. Uh, he might see some see some ninth inning high uh, leverage situations potentially for them. Um, but yeah, uh, two deals that are kind of under the radar. Um, they could be good for the Cubs, but at the end of the day, probably going to get traded at the deadline. Yeah, I don't know. With Hosmer, I think there's a reason he's making league minimum. After a really strong start, you know, a super strong April and then beginning of May with the Padres, he absolutely fell apart last year. And that was the last straw of the Padres. They were absolutely finished with him and they shipped him. You know, he ended up in Boston where he ended up getting cut and now he's making league minimum. I think Hosmer is a safe bet to finish right around league average offensively and he is not an asset in the field anymore. I would be pretty surprised if the Cubs are contending and he's their everyday first baseman, because I just don't think he has a ton to contribute. I think he's going to be right around replacement level war wise. Um, And then the last deal on here is my favorite, the Barnhart deal. Why do the Cubs need a new catcher? Because we took theirs. That's wonderful to me. Um, But Barnhart, you know, he is what he is at this point. He's a solid defender, but that defense has slipped in recent years and he's a terrible hitter. He was near league average at times, with the Reds, but the bottom really fell out a couple of years ago. Then he had an awful showing in Detroit and now he's in Chicago where I don't anticipate he'll be a very strong catcher at all. All right. So it seems like our consensus is these deals, which they committed over 300 total million dollars to, you know, the seven deals um, seems like we agree that they're not super impactful. So why are the Cubs getting so much buzz and do they really have a chance at contending I don't know. I don't think the Cubs will be in contention this year, but I do have a little bit of a conspiracy theory. So looking at the deals that they signed, Tyone and Swanson are the only two deals that are really for that, for, for a long term. Tyone's going to be there for the next couple of years. Swanson's going to be there for a long time. Mancini, Bellinger, Barnhart, Hosmer, and Boxberger, I think are all getting shipped at this deadline um, at some point. If they have any value, they're going to be shipped off to a contender for some prospects. And they're going to try to rebuild that farm system a little bit. Here's where I get a little bit scared um, of the Cubs. So we know that when Shohei Otani came over in his rookie season, the Cubs were one of the finalists to sign him. Mm. Um, they're very, they were very interested in him, and he almost went to the Cubs before he signed with Anaheim. Now, the Cubs also want to spend money. I know Bally Sports is having some issues with like TV deals and whatnot, but the Cubs are one of the teams that is not connected to Bally Sports, so they have money. They will have money to spend next offseason, I believe. Um, if you look at that rotation, it's headlined by Marcus Stroman and Jameson Tyone. If they wanted to contend, 
adding an ace like Otani would help. Um, and also DH power bat. I don't think they have a lot of power from the left side either. Um, Swanson's a righty. Um, Patrick Lewis doesn't. going to be gone though. Um, Stroman's contract expires after this year. Oh, does it? I'd be surprised if he's back there. Yeah. I thought it was a three or four year deal. Three year deal signed um, after the pandemic season. So one, two, 2021, 2022, 2023, he's gone. This is why. Okay, but that leaves more money on the books for them to splurge sure. on a, a top free agent. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were in on him. Will he sign there? Probably not because he's made it clear that his priority is winning World Series. And I don't see how um, he could, like the Cubs could be favorites for World Series. They would certainly make the playoffs with him. But that scares me a little bit. That could be what they're getting at. They might be. Cubs are more than a show to reload. Yeah, they would probably have to sign more than more than him to do that. But I would be terrified of that um, because I can't have my favorite player on the Cubs. That's that's not okay. I think they'd be more than worlds than a Shohei Otani away from the playoffs. The Cubs finished 17 games behind the Cardinals last year. They were not even remotely close. They've they've thrown a bunch of band-aid solutions on. They have a middling farm system. The Cubs are not near contenders. I think you can make the argument that the Cardinals are better at every single position than the Chicago Cubs. You can go around the diamond. You can make the argument at catcher. They were better last year, but now we have that catcher and we're far superior at catcher. Goldschmidt is a much better first baseman than Eric Hosmer. And it's not going to be close at all at shortstop. uh, This is my favorite stat of the year. Dansby Swanson has a lower career OPS plus than Paul DeYoung. And by the way, he finished two war behind Tommy Edmond last year. I don't think they're super close. And Tommy Edmond is $23 million cheaper. Um, at second base, it's pretty close. Horner might be a better second baseman than Brendan Donovan. But I'm not sure he's better than the combination of Brendan Donovan and Nolan Gorman. You're going to be able to ride the hot hand there. You're going to have two very, very solid bats who both had a higher OPS pluses than Horner last year. Horner's going to play good defense, but Donovan plays good defense too. You know, Horner in about 100 more bats only finished 0.4 war ahead of Donovan last year. Donovan had an OPS plus 20 points higher. Donovan finished in rookie of the year voting, something Horner did not do when he was rookie. And then at third, Christopher Morrell might be one of the most overrated players in the National League. I know he had a fun rookie year. He ended up finishing sixth in rookie of the year voting. But by the time it was all said and done, he had a 1.4 OP, or 1.4 war. 107 OPS plus Nolan Arnauto blows that out of the water. Let's look at the bullpen. The Cardinals are going to have one of the national league's strongest bullpen here anchored by Helsley Hicks Gallegos. That is a three headed monster at the back of the pen with plenty of talent in the pipeline. Zach Thompson, Freddie Pacheco, all these guys could contribute looking at the rotation. The Cardinals are stronger there too. The Cubs think the rotation is going to be one of their team's stronger points, but nobody in there is proven. Kyle Hendricks is mid washed and old. Sorry, I'm getting so negative, but I just have to mid washed and old Justin Steele, uh, Hayden was These guys are unproven young. I'm not sure they're better than the Cardinals young crop of arms anyway. And then in the outfield where it might be the closest, I don't know. Say Suzuki only had two war last year. New bar was higher and way less at bats in center field. Sure. Bellinger's going to play good defense, but he hits like Paul DeYoung. We have Dylan Carlson, who's a much more intriguing talent and many years younger. And then in left, I would take Tyler O'Neill over Ian Happ any day of the week because we've seen Tyler O'Neill's ceiling way higher than anything Ian Happ has ever done in his career. So I look around and I think the Cubs are 
20 games away from contending with the Cardinals who got better this offseason. They're not close. 20 games? That's three more than they, than they were last year. I don't mm-hmm. We got better. The Cardinals added Contreras. They got rid of DeYoung. DeYoung will not be hitting as much. We will not have automatic outs in our lineup. I'll, I'll have I, you know that DeYoung last year in spring training had like a 1,500 OPS. I remember. So if, he does that again, if he does that again this year, he's getting a roster spot. <laughs> no. <laughs> Please. He led the team in OPS last year in spring training. DeYoung did. I thought yeah. he was back. I did too. I know. I, I don't think DeYoung is going to take an at-bat for the Cardinals this year. That's my opinion. There's just too many young guys. They have to get too many guys at bats. Tommy Edmond is the everyday shortstop. If DeYoung, if DeYoung plays for the Cardinals, he'll be in a very, very limited bench role. I, I, I do think I want the best for him. And, you know, I, I don't want to just trash on him. I want the best for him. And he's been a very serviceable player for a long time who plays great defense. I want DeYoung to go get a fresh start somewhere else. You know, I want him to have the chance to be an everyday player for another team where he can just get away from some recent struggles, have a fresh start and go at it all over again. But I don't know. I don't think the Cubs are close to the Cardinals. I don't think, and, and I read this hilarious article on Bleed Cubby Blue, their, you know, SB Nation site that said, if you squint real hard, you might be able to see a division title for the Cubs in 2023. And I just thought that was laughable. They're not even near the Brewers and they're not even close to the Cardinals, not even in the same stratosphere. I mean, I was listening to Talking Baseball break down some of the, the Cubs moves this offseason. And they said that the, that the Cubs team was very comparable to the Cardinals team minus Goldschmidt and Arenado. And I thought that was pretty funny because those two guys were top three in MVP voting last year. Like, you you're missing support. those two pieces. That's pretty, I don't know. That's, that's, that's a lot to be missing. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'm optimistic about the Cubs this, this season. Well, and when you what? consider the value, two guys who were eight more last year, 16 games. I'll say it. I'm going to say that uh, the Cubs are going to finish closer to 500, I think. I think they, they, they've made a lot of moves this season, and while the players might not be the, the best they could have chosen, I just think that um, it will be an improvement on last year. I can see them finishing close to 500. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I – um, in one of the articles we wrote for the blog here, we broke down some of their moves in the Cubs season preview. Go give it a look. Go give it a read. Um, but I think while they got a little bit better, they also lost a lot of production too. I think all of the new production that's coming in for the most part is going to be offset. And it's going to be offset in particular by the loss of Wilson Contreras, who was their best player last year. Um, when you lose a guy like that and you don't add a serviceable catcher, I don't know. You're going to lose a ton of production. He's also a fan favorite. Um, sure, the Cubs added some likable veterans. You know, I don't know a lot of people around baseball that don't think Eric Hosmer and Trey Mancini are likable guys, but it's just not going to be enough. I don't think Wilson Contreras is a fan favorite in Chicago anymore after what he said. He was in the dugout envisioning being in a Cardinal uniform while as a Cub. I feel like that is so awesome. Cub fans. Yeah. That is absolutely incredible. It felt really good to poach Wilson Contreras. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so where, where do they finish in this division? I, I have to say they finish third. Third. I was, was going to say the same thing. I think they're they going to finish around third place. Um, I think they'll definitely pass up the, the Pirates and the Reds, but mm-hmm. I don't think there's any way they pass up the Brewers or the Cardinals. 
I think the Cubs finish this year with 77 to 79 wins. They'll be close to 500. Um, I think a best case scenario for the Pirates lets that be closer. But I agree. The Cubs will probably finish in third. I don't see them pushing the Brewers. The Brewers pitching is just too strong. And they'll win plenty of games with that pitching staff. And I don't think the Cubs pitching staff is particularly inspiring. So I agree. I think they'll finish in third. Their best case scenario is probably something like 82 wins and a late season push for a wild card spot. If that third wild card spot falls in what's a pretty top heavy national league, you know, and, and if the Phillies falter or the Brewers falter, the Cubs could be there to be interesting in September. Um, but I think their worst case scenario is that the wheels fall off again and they lose nearly a hundred games. So I'm hoping for that personally, but you know, I think that's very possible. I just revealed all of my personal bias against the Cubs. <laughs> but I'm just not inspired by this team. They don't show me much. They made a lot of moves that amount to very little and spent a lot of money. You know, when, when Cody Bellinger finds his MVP form and the Cubs win the NL Central, the Cubs fans are going to come and keep standing. It's going to go. I'll be here and I'll be ready when the Cardinals win the, win the NL Central and I can make fun of all the Cubs fans who thought they had a chance. I just think, I look at the, like, the Tyone move is really telling to me. The Cubs are kind of bargain bin hunting. Tyone is not a $65 million player. He, he's the Yankees five last year. You're telling me you're going to, I mean, I know the Yankees had a strong rotation, but you're going to go after a team's fifth starter and pay him like a mid rotation arm. That's, that's pretty crazy. And the Cubs didn't do anything to fix the bullpen concerns. They actually lost David Robertson, who was their most effective arm by quite a bit. And Scott Efros, their next most effective arm. You know, they traded those guys at the end of the year and neither of them came back. I don't know. I'm just not impressed by the pitching staff. I'm not impressed by the offense. The defense up the middle will be really fun though. Swanson and Horner are very good defensively. So we'll see. I mean, Swanson and Horner didn't both get nominated for the same gold glove award. Um, I saw some Cubs fans saying that their, that their middle infield was better defensively. And I, that's the one thing that I cannot agree with um, Cubs fans on. I don't think Donovan, like you just can't you can't compare it i agree tommy edmund should win the platinum glove based on the quality of defense he plays and he didn't even win a gold glove last year what a snub that was tough but he's given him the platinum glove but the qualifications for the platinum glove is you have to win a gold glove first and he didn't like that's i don't get it yeah i mean he was baseball's best defender it's just he split it up between two positions but this year when he's just a shortstop oh my gosh the value is going to be insane well that'll wrap up our predictions for the cubs and the pirates from this year and that's going to wrap up this episode of newt news thank you so much for listening we hope you'll join us next week where we're going to preview the Cardinal season and make some exciting, bold predictions. We're also working on getting some really awesome guests for the show. Uh, we're going to let you know about that more soon. So please stay tuned and get excited. If you enjoyed, please leave us a like, review, and consider subscribing. Follow Newt News on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Newt News Pod, and check out our official blog. Have a great day, and we hope to see you again next week.